Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jack Rico, and thank you for listening to episode 31 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. This is the show for those of you who love to live on the intersection of American and Latino pop culture. It's Testosterone Week. On this episode, we get some lowrider culture. Theo Rossi, known for his work as Juice Ortiz in Sons of Anarchy, joins me to talk about his new role in the Latino film Lowriders. We also go one-on-one with two of the toughest men in MMA, the CEO and president of Combat Americas, Campbell McLaren, and Alberto El Patron Rodriguez, formerly known to many WWE fans as Alberto Del Rio, in what I can only describe as an uncensored, candid, and entertaining interview with two men in search of becoming the number one MMA federation in the world. And we also review Charlie Hunnam's new action-adventure film, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, plus a listen at my week's favorite music playlists and a recap of the top stories in U.S. Latino pop culture. New York native Theo Rossi has become known to many for his role as Juice Ortiz in seven seasons of Sons of Anarchy. He once again caught everyone else's attention as Shades Alvarez in Marvel's Luke Cage, and he now steps in his most affecting role to date as Francisco Ghost Alvarez in Ricardo de Montreal's Lowriders. You know what people call me now? Well, my own brother called me Ghost. Do you know what they call me that? Because for the last eight years, you haven't so much as mentioned my name to remind people that I exist. Hi, Theo. Welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast. <laughs> it's a pleasure to, to, to be on it. Thank you so much. Well, Theo, who do you play and why did you choose to be part of Lowriders? Uh, Lowriders, um, I play Francisco Ghost Alvarez. Um, it was a project that uh, I had to do. It was calling me. I, 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 this was something I chased and wanted and you know i needed to make happen uh for a lot of reasons the script affected me like uh like nothing else i had ever read are you and kidding me i'm talking about one of your greatest roles and maybe one of the greatest roles in television in the last seven eight years was juice ortiz and sons of anarchy it's oh, hard yeah. it's hard to hear you feel this extremely intimate with a character after you played juice Ortiz. What exactly is it about this character that, that, that makes you feel so attached to it? Well, you know, the difference with TV and films is, you know, with a TV show with someone like juice, for example, and, and why I love juice so much. And, you know, that character is 
you get to build that character over many years, technically almost eight years. You know, you get to really, you get to really think about him and you get to evolve with him as a person as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you evolve and he evolves and the story evolves and things change and you really get to live in the, in, in, in people's psyche for eight years, sometimes seven years, if you're lucky on the show with a film, you're doing that all in two months. And then, you know, and then the film comes out, you know, a year, a year and a half, two years, whatever it is, years later, and then you, you revisit it and you kind of got to get back into that mindset of what you were. So it's a very different process. And with this character, why it was so important to me was there was a lot of elements that were uh, similar to my life, you know, in the relationship with the dad and, uh, you know, things that he had, you know, been misunderstood and him wearing this very, tough exterior and and just really the way ghost uh navigates through the world was something that i was dying to explore because i thought it would be you know it, it was cathartic for me it was something i needed to do because of uh of my own relationship with my birth father and stuff like that and i got to do it uh in a really uh beautiful way in this film and uh, i'm excited for people to see it I want to talk about your father, your parents, uh, and your heritage. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't find anything on what your nationality is. Are you of Hispanic origin? So I'm a second generation immigrant, and I'm an ethnic mutt. And I'm very, <laughs> I, I am, I am very, uh, you know, I'm very lucky that I was raised with a really tremendous, uh, diverse ethnicity uh and family and as we you know because my father was you know gone when i was younger and there's a lot of things that we didn't know you know it's great that even now to this day i learn more and more and more uh about my background and kind of who i am and you know where it all comes from so for me it's just been such an you know such a beautiful honor to explore and to be uh to be in a position that I can, uh, navigate through, through some, some incredible characters, uh, and, and, and play such a diverse, uh, wide range of, uh, of roles because, you know, I'm basically, I'm a walking Benetton ad at this point, you know? Um, <laughs> so you don't identify as a Latino. <laughs> I, I, I try to have as much respect for everyone in my family and I identify just as an ethnic mind. Because it's interesting, you've since 2007, I'm, and, and, and I'm sure there's been roles before that where you've played many Hispanic characters, obviously mm-hmm. Sons of Anarchy, Luke Cage, mm-hmm. Lowriders. And I was wondering yeah. if Hollywood. Yeah, I have family. Yeah, I have family from Spain. You know, I have I have family from all over Southern Europe. I mean, I have I have roots in everywhere from you know Middle East and North Africa. I have I have roots everywhere. You know, uh, and I and and I think that that's what is so beautiful, you know, about, about the, uh, the, the world nowadays, you know, right. we're all kind of just in this mix of everything. How much that. of the lowrider culture did you know before you started working in the film? Oh, a ton. I lived in East LA, you know, I lived in East LA. I was uh, living in LA for a long time. Um, you know, I born and raised in New York city Stan and I, when I went out, Yes, Staten Island. And when I went out to L.A., I moved to uh, East L.A. And because of Sons of Anarchy, because of the motorcycle culture, I was able to be right next to and parallel to the car culture. 
and uh, the low riding community, which is very, very, very similar to the motorcycle community because there is clubs, there is presidents and vice presidents and sergeant arms, and there is the whole thing in the low riding clubs. And I was able to spend a ton of time with them even before low riders was a thought in my mind. Um, and especially living in East LA. So it's, it's been something that was already in my wheelhouse and already in my, in my zone. And then just to be, uh, to be a part of it and to see it come was just, you know, it was a dream come true. For me. This movie, uh, Low Riders, comes at a very, very important moment for for Latinos, Latino yep. culture, uh, yep. simply because there is such a lack of Latino films in Hollywood. Do you feel that a movie like this uh, has the added pressure of being successful so more heads of studios feel comfortable in telling more Latino stories? Uh, listen, I think that Hollywood is at its best when it mirrors exactly what's going on in society. I mean, if you look at Hollywood, Hollywood has always been a reflection of the world. And, you know, we've gotten, we've definitely, not that we've gotten away from it a little, you know, obviously the big tentpole and the giant films, those are very successful for a reason, because, you know, um, escapism. We love going to the movies and escaping. But when we're mirroring when we're mirroring what's going on and you see the success of beautiful films like Moonlight, you know, when you see the reasoning why is because we're very aware that we live in a very diverse world now. I mean, I, I live, I, I'm born and raised in New York City. I, I don't, I don't know any different, you know, um, and then I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of my life in Los Angeles. So it's ex extremely Two extremely, yeah, two extremely, uh, exactly. multi-diverse, yeah, you know, uh, communities. Very diverse yeah. uh, communities and, and, and cities. And I've been very fortunate enough to do that. So now that films are starting to represent everyone, um, I, I, I think that I don't think there's any pressure on the film. I think that the film is a great film. I think the film, I think films are great films. It doesn't matter. If it's a superhero film or an animated film, uh, if it's a film about sharks, you know, it, it doesn't matter because films are great films. Uh, and what I love is that everybody is now uh, getting their chance and getting and, and I think Hollywood is finally um, hip to the game a little, I would say. What do you think is the enduring quality of this movie? Uh, to fa the family, the connection of the family. I mean, I think, uh, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, we all have, we all have our opinions on family. Uh, that some, sometimes that's really good and sometimes it's really bad. I think that what this film does is it shows the story of a family and, and sometimes that things can go really, really bad and sometimes things are just misunderstood. And I think that we're giving you a peek into the window into the behind the curtain of this family and we get to see how it turns out. We get to see how thick blood is and, and how important culture and heritage and all that stuff is. So I, I'm, uh, I think that the enduring quality is that this is a family drama at the heart wrapped in the beautiful glitz and glamor of this living art pieces that is low riders and the graffiti community and everything like that. So uh, I think it's got a little for everybody. Uh, let me ask a couple of questions to get to know you a little bit better. Sure. What is your favorite late night show? 
I'm, I'm, I have a two-year-old, a, a son who's going to be two. So my late nights are about 1030. So there is no late night. <laughs> okay. Uh, app you can't live without. Oh, uh, New York City Spot Hero. Uh, if I'm driving, uh, Spot Hero, I need at all times, but Spotify is probably the one I use the most of anything because I run marathons and I jog, so I'm listening to complete playlists at all times, so Spotify. Funniest person you ever met? Uh, my my business partner, my, my, my best friend, my brother, my, uh, my, my buddy Mona is uh, nobody in the planet can make me laugh like he does. He's the greatest he's he just knows things he's a pop culture machine and he knows things that just get me every time movie that changed your life in this business i would say the movie that absolutely changed my life was casablanca an album you'd recommend to everyone album i would recommend to everyone at any time would be uh Wu-Tang Clan, Enter the 36 <laughs> Chambers. Staten Island! <laughs> That's right. Yes. Theo, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about lowriders and getting to know you a little bit, man. Because, you know, the thing is that you, you tend to have a very menacing presence on screen. And, uh, and to get to know you from this level really calms me down, man. Because every time I see you, I feel like this guy's going to kick my ass you know, through the TV. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for the great interview. Enjoy your day, right, brother? It's time for Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy franchise is getting a reboot without Guillermo del Toro. Ecuadorian singer Christina Aguilera will star in the sci-fi romance Zoe. There's a young Bruce Lee film in the works. Eugenio Derbez in Salma Hayek's How to Be a Latin Lover opened number one in Mexico, outperforming Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Changing over to the small screen, Telemundo will be bringing the official authorized biopic of Luis Miguel to TV. American Idol is officially returning on ABC. Showtime's Billions is renewed for season three. There is a Roseanne revival in the works. Fox TV is doing an X-Men series. And Hulu also released the first look at their Marvel's Runaways. We have the exclusive trailer. Here's an excerpt. They're teenagers. The last thing they're interested in is what their parents are doing. Where does it go? This... In music news, it's official. The Grammys will return to Madison Square Garden January 28, 2018. Shakira will be performing at the Univision Upfront. J Balvin announces a U.S. tour beginning September 14th. Mexican pop star Emmanuel to record an MTV Unplugged set. Café Tacuba announces their first U.S. tour in years. And Giancarlo's Canela will do a duet with Achy Breaky Heart's Billy Ray Cyrus. Have a listen. And in digital and social media news, Amazon unveils the new Alexa Echo Show, now with a video screen that can make phone calls. Snapchat has almost as many teens as Facebook. Twitter brings live video with its TV app on Roku. And if you're thinking of cutting the cord, you should really check out Hulu's new live streaming TV service. It's $39.99, which includes their whole TV and movie library, plus 50 live channels, which include Telemundo, but not Univision. MMA is one of the fastest growing sports in the world, and two men, co-founder of UFC Campbell McLaren and Alberto El Patron Rodriguez, are making sure that Combate Americas, the world's first Hispanic-based mixed martial arts promotion, not only becomes a serious rival to UFC, but to one day become the most watched MMA promotion 
in the world. ¿Qué tal amigos? Bienvenidos a la jaula más excitante en cuanto a artes marciales mixtas. Well, Campbell, Alberto, uh, great to have you on the podcast. Uh, Combat America is on fire. Definitely on fire. I want to, let's talk a little bit about how Combat America came to be, first of all. Um, and tell me the differences, Campbell, right off the bat between the UFC and Combat America when you first launched it. Uh, great question, but let's let's actually talk about how Campbell Alberto came to be. Oh my God! Right? Are they so, ready for this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the world is ready for this. So you know, as I'm doing Combate Americas, which is focused, you know, on Hispanic fans, we want everybody, but it's focused on Hispanic fans. And I just kept wondering how a Scottish guy, you know, was going to be able to pull that off. And in, in thinking about who would be right to come into the company, you know, there was someone that, you know, for the fight fan, for me, really stood out because uh, Alberto was famous from his work with the WWE, right? And that's a huge, huge media promotion. Mm -hmm. And he's very well known in Mexico, very well known in the US. But what maybe, everyone doesn't know is he has got a great background as an MMA fighter and fought famous fights in Japan and also had a background as a Pan American Olympic or Pan American wrestling champion. So he's a real athlete, fought fights in the legendary promotions of Japan, was a wrestling star in this country, a wrestling star in Mexico. I was like, dude, I got to get this guy. But <laughs> I was trying to get him to fight. Right, right, right. And, you know, that's how I approached Alberto, and I wanted him to fight, and I think I offered him a lot of money. Yeah, this is the best part of my job. He's the one paying my checks every month, and he's putting me over all the time. <laughs> but, Alberto, how, but why is it? it? It should be the other way around, but it, it's always Campbell. But, Alberto, me why over. is it Thank that, you for that, that, that most people don't know that you fought in the MMA before? No, they, they, they know. It's just um, uh, when, I, when I was in Japan fighting, I was uh, still using the name of Dos Caras Jr., And when I came, that, that was the name of, that, 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 that was the name that my father used to use when he was um, uh, doing pro wrestling shows all over the world. And uh, when I came to the United States and worked for WWE, they changed the name into Alberto Del Rio. So that's the reason some people get confused with what Dos Caras Jr. did in Japan, uh, South America and other places, and what Alberto Rio did in um, in the pro wrestling scene. And so for you, is real fighting much more important to you than well, I mean, the characters I, that you've done before? I, I, I need you to rephrase that question sure. as, as his manager. And <laughs> it's not, don't think about it as real fighting versus something else. Because as, as Alberto and I always say, in the other work he does, there's still gravity. Yeah. Right, and I'll tell you the actually the injury, the danger is greater in professional wrestling than it is in MMA to a great extent. Look at the size; you could you can't see because we're on a podcast. We're look, a at podcast. This, look at the, look at the size of this. <laughs> and tell me, you get into you get into the ring with him and tell me it's not real fighting. Oh, yeah, look at the yeah, size there's of no this way guy. I'm getting in the ring with him. Hey, I, I thought there was no not going to be any cursing on this one. Curse. I'm trying to. This is you know what's fantastic. <laughs> Yesterday when we were doing the weigh-ins, 
I said, I don't even remember what I said, but it was just, I was just cursing and, uh, on the stage. And, um, and Campbell was like, what happened, amigo? When we, start, when we started doing business, you were a complete gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> now you curse all the time. Uh, well, like, like, my, like Campbell was saying, you, you, can, you cannot fake gravity. You know, if somebody throws you to the air, when the moment you land on the floor or on, on the canvas, it's going to hurt no matter what. Uh, the only difference, we do get hurt in pro wrestling. The only difference is we know who's going to win and who's going to lose. Right. And, uh, so there's in that. MMA, you, but you never know. I wish who's, we who's could. Win. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I wish I could swim. <laughs> yeah. My life would be so much easier. <laughs> you know, in, in the early days of the UFC, they used to go, that must be faked. I go, I wish it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I well, wish that blood it was. gushing it been out, yeah. So much easier for us to predict who to have fight. If we knew the outcome. What do you see now with Combat America that you did not see previously with UFC? Um, that's a really good question. I, th I think, you know, I knew the UFC was going to be popular, right? There was one time where we had this tape from Brazil, and it was the Gracies, and to teach some rude guy a lesson on the beach in Rio, he didn't saw it. Jorian Gracie, the famous you know, patriarch of the Gracie family. I'll imitate his accent as best I can. He goes, someone has insulted the honor of the Gracie family. We choose the smallest Gracie to teach him a lesson. <laughs> and you see this little scrawny kid, I don't know if it was Helson, I forget which one it was, like a skinny, like a 15-year-old, 16-year-old Brazilian beach kid. It's right. a Gracie. And you see him walk across the beach, and this is shaky, handheld VHS. And you see him walk to this giant muscle guy. He's wearing this big muscle shirt, and he pulls it off. And the little Gracie guy wrestles him to the ground, chokes him unconscious, rolls him over, and punches him right in the face. Oh, man. And Horian is narrating the whole thing. Now he chokes him unconscious. <laughs> now he rolls him over. You know. And as I watch the tape in the office at, 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 at BMG, uh, the whole, everyone cleared out to come into my office and watch this tape. And I'm looking at this and I go, this is going to blow up. This is going to be huge. Yeah. You know, the old joke, uh, you know, uh, I, I went to uh, a fight and a hockey game broke out. Or, you know, anytime there's a real fight, it stops the action. And that's what the UFC was. It was a real fight at a time when people weren't used to seeing this kind of thing. Right. So I knew it would be big. Did I think it would become a world-class sport and be talked about as a possible entrance in the Olympics? and you know, take over in Europe and do that stuff. No, I really didn't yeah. think that. The difference is with Combate, what I'm seeing is there's such a groundswell. And it's funny, it's not quite patriotic. It's more represent your home team, true to the, your own or your high home school, country, yeah. your home country, be loyal to the soil. It's this groundswell, very positive energy to let me have some dignity, let me have some pride, let me have a hero. And I knew it would do well in Mexico, but it's done phenomenally well. Let's talk about um, Latino millennials and Latino athletes. Uh, there is two versions of Combat America, which is the introduction of basically this sport uh, for a Latin audience uh, that, that probably at some point felt a little ignored because yeah. they weren't necessarily promoting to them. And then there's the second portion of the, the media strategy of how you reach that Latino audience, not necessarily only in the United States, but also in Latin America, Mexico, all the way down to Argentina. What is Combat America doing in terms of reaching that Latino millennial, and how are they doing that? 
Oh, well, I know the Latino audience or the Mexican audience are embracing the product already. I mean, they know that we finally give them a product that is for them. Uh, let's not make the, the, the huge mistake of thinking that just because the name is in Spanish, it's only for Latinos. We, we, we are a company that uh, is, is going to be good or is good for any type of audience. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. As long as you love the, the sport of MMA, this is, a, this is the company you should be watching. Yes, our main flavor is Latinos. We have a, 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 the 70, 75% of our fighters are from Latin origins, but, but, uh, but we do it because we love the way Mexican fighters fight, Latinos fighters fight, which is just they go at it and they put up a show. They go and trade, trade punches, trade, trade kicks. They, don't, they, never go out, uh, they never go out there just to get the result. Uh, they, they take pride on what they do. They want to show the world why we are so good, especially us coming from countries where we don't get too many opportunities. We Latins, in the moment we get a, an opportunity, oh, we go out there and we kill the other one. Right, right. And in terms of the actual media strategy, Campbell, what are you doing to then reach them? Are you doing it through television, through all the means? What, how do you want this to grow? I just, I, a great question and I've got a great answer. But I want to point out, this is why America is an interesting place, right? You've got the Mexican guy saying, this is for everybody, including the Anglos. And you've got the Scottish guy going, I really want the Mexicans. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah, you know, That's so. why this is a perfect combination. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, but I'll tell you, you know, if boxing blew up in the 1920s with a new technology called radio, Right. And it was a great chance. They were trying to sell radios. That's what, you know, was driving uh, uh, the boxing business on radio. They need to sell radios. So if they could put Dempsey and the great boxers uh, on radio, people would buy a radio to hear the boxing match. I think the NFL really exploded in the 60s, 70s with NFL films where they learned how to tell great kind of epic storytelling and using the medium of television to tell those stories. And I think what drives MMA, and it, it certainly worked for the UFC and it's really working for us, is social media, you know, everything, young people, millennials love to share the experience. They're watching our events, tweeting about it, Instagramming about it, uh, Snapchat, every possible medium. It works very well. This is, this is the millennial sport. It is a sport that was made for millennials. It was born the same time millennials were born. They have grown up with it, and they talk to each other about it. Television is a powerful tool still, regardless of the changes in the media business. So we've got to be on TV. Right. Right? right. And the live, yeah, the thing that's still working on TV to a great extent is live TV, because you've got to see the outcome. So when you combine the live TV with people you know, on their phones, talking about it at the same time. That's very powerful. It's a shared experience. Let's talk about some athletes uh, that are the stars of Combat America. Um, who are the high-profile ones, the ones that, every, that seem to be getting a lot of the engagement of the audience? And uh, let's hype them up a little bit. Who should everybody be watching for? Well, just today we have Froggy. Froggy is our main event of, uh, of the night, and, uh, and we're going to be helping him, pushing him to, to go to the top. We, we gave the ball to other fighters. We, we trusted other fighters, and, and we invested a lot of money on them, and, and they let us down. Uh, the reason, I don't know why, I think they cracked under the pressure. This is also a psychological sport. Oh, it's no, like you have to be strong here. 
that's that's the most important part of the coin the the game that's why we have those uh gym lions as we call them guys or or girls that kill everybody in the gym that that destroy everybody in the gym but in the moment they are in front of an audience inside a cage and they see their opponent face to face uh, they crack and it happened before uh in in not just in our organization and other organizations, but in this one, in Combate Americas, it happened before with two of our main eventers. Uh, they couldn't handle the pressure, and, uh, and um, we invested so much money in these guys, and, and they couldn't, they couldn't pull it off. John Castaneda and Kira Batara, we couldn't pull it off. I want to talk about John Castaneda, because you have a great story, Campbell. You have a great story on John Castaneda uh, about the, the humbleness that comes along with this. This is a great story. Well, that's a bad segue, though, Jack, because we were making fun of him, and, and, that, and, that, and that story really wants to put him over. It's not fair. What a good guy he is. He did, he did. We're not saying he isn't a good guy, but I'll tell you, with these athletes... You, the, the difference you see, look, um, I think there's three interesting fight groups now. I think it's clearly the UFC, you know, my baby grew up, turned mm. into a monster, it's the UFC. Bellator, because it's backed by Viacom and has such mm. media muscle behind it, is the real thing, and Combate. And I think yeah. these are the three interesting groups. And if you look at it, the UFC has the current most established world-class athletes under contract. That's what they have. So Bellator, we laugh and call it the retirement home because they take stars from other places that are past their prime and put them on there. So we don't want past their prime stars, and the guys in the UFC are under contract, so we've developed a totally different talent strategy, and that is to go after new fighters that are young and looking in places. We're looking in McAllen, Texas. I was just going to ask you, where are you recruiting? Yeah, I mean, we're in South America, Peru. But in, in this country, in the U.S., McAllen, the UFC doesn't know where McAllen is. They couldn't find McAllen. It's on the other side of the border. Well, it kind of is. Well, it kind of is, but they don't know where it the, is. The UFC thinks it's right next to Mexico City. Yeah. So, that's, so that's our strategy. So that gives us, and I think that's a point of difference. Now, the weakness in this is that when you get guys like John, they're still very new in their career. And as, as, as Alberto says, they sometimes crack under the pressure. They sometimes listen. They get bad advice. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. so I think that was the problem with John. But so what, who's mentoring these guys then? Well, I mean, that's, you know, in, 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 in the rock and roll business, it used to be the guy the manager drives the yeah. van most became the manager. Well, the <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, no, that, that's always the rock and roll business. The guy that could drive the van back in the early days uh-huh. when he was high and drunk, that's who became the manager, right? And MMA is still a relatively new sport, so you have a lot of very unprofessional people giving these guys bad advice. And I think that really was the problem with John, right? No. But what John did on the positive side and why he's been given more than one chance with us is uh, a few months ago, he took a fight on short notice. Mm-hmm. He was getting pretty beat up in the first round. He took the fight on three days' notice. The other opponent had been hurt, came in, and um, first round, very rough. John took, I think, more of a beating than he thought he was going to get. Right. And so in the second round, he decided, okay, this is fun and everything, but, you know, time to finish. So he takes the guy down and, you know, uh, beat him into submission. It was a pretty good fight. And, uh, you know... I go into La Jaula as the ref is about to raise his hand in victory, and John leaned over to me and said, 
my opponent's having money trouble and he's got two little kids. Give him my win bonus. Wow. Yeah. And, I mean, we yeah, all know a lot uh, of charitable uh, uh, people, but... Yeah, but, uh, I mean, we love our fighters. We know that they come from, um, from, from good places, from good families, and that's why I love these kids so much because I can't tell how much they want it, and they have a, a huge heart. But we, let's not forget that we're running a business. And John, John Castaneda is a fantastic kid with a good heart, an amazing athlete. But he still let us, let us down in that, in, that, uh, in that event where we were going to crown the first champion he in, uh, in, in Combat Americas. Um, let's, let's move on to the showmanship of Combat America. We started seeing it with boxing years ago, where it just stopped being two guys walking into the ring and then start fighting. You started seeing the hip-hop music blaring, uh, the lights, the fireworks, the everything. Is that something you want for Combat America? Is part of the showmanship of the athlete, the, uh, like a Conor McGregor, who is very vociferous, uh, very controversial, is that something that you want as part of the culture of Combat Americas? Well, you're asking, there's two aspects to what you're asking. One is the live show and the experience in the show, and I think the WWE does great shows, yeah. and Ryzen and the Japanese promotions did great shows. Yeah. So that's one thing. Let's come back to that. It's not what we want to, it's what we have to do. It, it, the, the, the sport has evolved. So the audience evolved. just don't want something where two guys come in and duke it out. They want the full, like, almost cinematic experience. Well, well, I'll give you an example. So one of the reasons I wanted Alberto is we have a guy named Gustavo Lopez. Good looking, smirks, kind of a bad attitude, great athlete. And, and then of course Alberto goes, I like that guy. So, you know, so one of the things we really need Alberto to do is to bring up, because this is a humble culture and a lot of people are unsure of how to portray themselves, because they are young guys. One of the things Alberto's going to do is teach these guys how to be... Hi. Oh, oh Paige you know is uh, walking We're, in. We, we have the most pleasant interruption right now. <laughs> this is the yes. most pleasant interruption. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, How are you? I don't know what her contract says, but Paige from Total <laughs> Divas is just coming to the room. I don't know if we can do it. Hola. Hi, guys. <laughs> So we were talking about the showman aspects of this. That it is, so it is crucial for audiences to definitely uh, be a part of that, to have the fireworks. But, but for the athletes, is there an education on being in front of that camera yeah, and having to, to wink and to having yeah. to say things that you know, gets people excited. No, we have to. I mean, that was one, that's another reason why my friend Campbell invited me to be part of Combat is because I, he knows I can help these kids to, to develop their personality, to bring that personality out and show the mm -hmm. world who they really are. Because most of these guys, or all of these guys have never been in front of a camera with a microphone in their hands. So even though in real life they have an amazing personality, in the moment you put that microphone and that camera in they front of them, they get scared. They froze. Yeah, they, they 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 don't know what to say or what to do, and I can I I, I feel like I, that was me eight years ago before coming to United States to WWE. I was like every time they gave me the microphone when I was in Mexico, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> and then yeah, <laughs> no, they don't know. This is real. <laughs> it's real. But then um, uh, 
WWE sent me to the their developmental center, where is the place where they right. teach you how to talk, uh, what to do, how to, how to bring your personality out and and be an entertainer. Right. And that's what we want because you can be a fantastic wrestler. I mean, I'm 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 an, I'm an amazing wrestler. I'm one of the best ones in in uh, in the business. Humble, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, so humble. That, that's, that's why Paige loves me so much because she knows how humble I am. <laughs> and on and on that note, Campbell. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, he really is an extraordinary wrestler. Well, that's actually, the funny thing. actually, he's probably that's probably an understatement. But, I mean, but he I, said it's probably always, was I modest. Say this. I know, I know. People, people think that it's wrong when you put yourself over, but I don't think that it's okay when you put yourself over. <laughs> well, Campbell, here. So, so the last question, so we can wrap this up. He's, we don't he's, want to he's, no, no, we don't want to Okay. No, stop it. I mean, I mean, Alberto, as he says, as Alberto says, he is one of the best. Has there been conversations with you and other management about bringing Alberto into the ring as a form of marketing where he kind of just says, you know what, you kid, I'm going to show you how it's done. And the main event heavyweight fight for that particular night is Alberto versus somebody. Well, that's how Would we that, Well, that is... That's how we started our uh, uh, friendship, business relationship, right? Yeah, no, I wanted him no, to No, and he, he offered me a, a really good amount of money. It was a million dollars. Because you're an executive now, so the, the question is, I mean, is does the executive come down from the porch as he's overseeing everything I, I, and I get just, into the ring? I don't know. I tried. The, the, no, pro, the no, problem no. is he pays me too well. <laughs> now that I don't, have, I don't have to fight, then he pays me a lot of money. That's not the problem. <laughs> I can't find Jackson. another Mexican right. the same. Sizes him. This guy is huge. Right? You got Phil Jackson, who's a coach, yeah. greatest coach who ever lived, who doesn't necessarily coach. So you have one of the greatest fighters. Will he be willing to get into the ring? I didn't well, pay him to it's, say it's, this. It's you not, know, this, he came up with this. Are you tricking me, amigo? <laughs> no, I mean, no. That's that's how we started it. I mean, um, and I was going to do it, but. I don't think it's in me anymore because in order to be a fighter, you have to be hungry. I'm not saying that I'm not hungry anymore, but thank God I have accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish in my life. And, uh, and years after the first offer that Campbell uh, made me, he came with another and better offer, paying me pretty much the same amount of money, but just to look pretty. Come, come, <laughs> come be in front of the camera, teach, uh, help these kids, yeah, uh, yeah, get fighters and, and other right. places to take combates, but, but without trading punches or using my head as a punching bag. So it's, it's just, I don't want to say no because you never, so we're we never say that never. So we're talking there's this, there, you're open to it. Oh, well, sometimes, really? sometimes when, when I see a good fight, I always go to camera and I say, Maybe I'll do it for the next one. <laughs> of course, the thought lasts like five minutes. <laughs> or, or, or it lasts until my fiance comes and tells me, are you crazy? But maybe we're open to the possibility, right? <laughs> uh, he knows I will jump on any opening in this way. If we could get Alberto back in La Jolla, it'd be fantastic. I mean, that, that would be the biggest news in the fight business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then let's look at this five years from now. Both of you are together. Uh, you have a great team behind you. You have audiences that want this sport to become huge. 
Where do you see Combat Americas in the next five well, years? If, if, uh, if five years from now, one of us doesn't go to jail and the other one to a mental hospital, we'll be, we'll be the best MMA company you know, out there. The <laughs> Maybe let's talk about two years from now. All right, two years. Yeah. Let's uh, shake it down. Well, I'll tell you, here's Whoa. what, uh, you know, we've, we've gotten a pretty good uh, group of people around us at Combat Americas, and, and I have a very smart... Uh, uh, woman that's been advising us, and and she pointed out something that's you know so obvious. There's there's 600 million Spanish speakers on the planet. That's and true. 400 million English speakers. So we're really in a position to be a third bigger than the UFC. Yeah. And in South America, it's another thing too. There really is only one sport there, and it really is soccer. So in the U.S. Yeah, There's no like competition because right, you're only competing right. against one sport yeah, as opposed to the United States where you got like five sports that you're yeah. competing against. So, I mean, I think we really could be in a position to be the biggest MMA promotion on the planet. I mean, you know, and that, that, maybe that's saying a lot, but I've got, we've got the most passionate fight fans. You're recorded. Yeah, yeah I'm hearing yeah. you. We're, we're, we've got the most passionate fight fans. They got 600 million native speakers. Uh, you know, we've got the UFC that just doesn't seem to care about the Hispanic fans. They, they seem to, they keep talking about China and Russia. I mean, I don't get it, you know? So we've got the most passionate fight fans. We've got a huge number. We've got a great running start, right? The ratings are really good in the U.S. on, you know, our Spanish station. They're great in South America and they're fantastic in Mexico. So, I mean, five years, we could be the number one. Gentlemen, thank you so much for enlightening us about Combat Americas. Uh, I love uh, what you're talking about reaching the Hispanic, but I also love uh, the possibilities and the potential of Combat America in the next two to five years internationally and globally. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. And before we move on to our review of King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, here's some songs I've been listening to this week. Let's say goodbye for now And go our separate way Goodbye After Tomorrow, Juanes. Doesn't mean I don't love you Doesn't mean you lose my security Yeah, we got magic Safe Bay Ledges. Aquel incendio, Sara Valenzuela. In King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, director Guy Ritchie reimagines this old but classic story about a street boy who, unaware of his royal blood, reluctantly pulls a magical sword from a stone to become the legendary King Arthur. There are rumors, the legend of the sword of a king other than yourself. This is so far the best action movie of 2017. Richie uses all the clever stylistic trademarks he's known for to deliver a fresh, fun new vision on the fictional legend. Charlie Hunnam, who plays Arthur, is in my opinion the worst lead actor Hollywood has. Yet through sheer masculinity contrasted with comic timing, he manages to dispense a high dose of charisma on screen. I'm not getting drawn into this mess. There's an army of you. There's only one of me. I'll talk. I'm happy to talk, but there is no way 
that I am fighting. All in all, King Arthur Legend of the Sword is a visual spectacle that is exceptionally entertaining. If you love action films, this is one you can't miss. So what happens now? You know what happens now. You're quickly becoming a legend. And that's a wrap for our 31st episode of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Theo Rossi, Campbell McLaren, and Alberto El Patron Rodriguez for coming on the show. And I want to thank you guys always for listening. If you want to get a shout out from us, tweet me at Jack Rico Official. That's at Jack Rico Official. We're now on the Revolver Podcast Network, which means you can hear us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Stitcher. Also, please subscribe and share with your friends. See you again next Friday on another episode of BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.